That is only rock and roll, and we like it. All about the rocking and the rolling and the whatnot <laughs> this week. Welcome in. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we are from madwolf.com. Check it out for any of the uh, movie reviews. Find out what the uh, latest movies, if they're worth your time, if they're worth your money, and we have a special fun uh, all the time with the horror genre right here on the Fright Club Podcast. For So a thank you for checking in, and thanks again to the great turnout uh, last week for Fright Club Live. Yeah, we did. Uh, we showed Grabbers, which is a super fun drinking film, uh, and we counted down the five best uh, Irish horror films and had a lot of fun and learned that you and I, so you thought that we would pair each movie with some particular Irish cocktail. And what we learned was, A, we know very little about Irish beers and B, we don't, we're not good drinkers. No, we're not. But uh, it seemed to fit. It did. Especially when you have a movie uh, like Grabbers, which is based around, let's get drunk <laughs> to stay alive, which if, you know, if there's a more Irish St. Patrick's Day horror theme, I don't know what it is. <laughs> So, but that is a lot of fun. It's one of those that we've talked about before, movies that maybe the the people who don't really like horror movies that much can have fun with. Yeah, we do try to throw in like a, a good, fun horror comedy every few months. And yeah. this was this was the one, and it seemed appropriate for March. But then one of the other movies that we put, and it's funny, uh, one of our longtime Fright Clubbers, John Dean, he, he just went home, I think, and just watched the other four. I think he, he did. About it, which <laughs> yeah, was great. Exactly. And he liked a lot of them, but one of the one of the ones that I knew people would really like is called Stitches. Yeah, The it's Clown. A, it's a clown movie, but it's funny. So when, when we were talking about it last week, I thought we should just do a whole podcast on clown movies. And then... Uh, on Twitter, uh, a listener, Steve Perez, he he doesn't want this. And he says, quote, clowns are evil. Burn them with fire. <laughs> <laughs> so many people have a clown thing. I know, man. Which, you know, Steve, no offense, but that just makes it a perfect podcast. It really does. Clowns are just terrifying. I know. To so it's many very people. very appealing. And uh, so we have to put that aside. We'll, we'll have to give Steve plenty of notice. <laughs> but I love that quote. Clowns are evil. Burn them with fire. That's pretty great. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you for that. We had a great time. Mark it down. Uh, the next Fright Club Live podcast and a movie showing is going to be on April the 13th and right back at Gateway and we're going to do Korean horror, which, which you know, yeah. know right now is going to be an awesome, awesome list and we're going to show Tale of Two Sisters, which is such a great movie. I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant film, but also it's just meant to be seen on a big screen. It is so visually amazing, that movie is. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And I'll tell you, ca- uh, paring down the favorites to five of Korean yeah, horror is going to be tough. Yeah. Because they have some goodies. They do. So, yeah, we hope to uh, see you there again. That is April the 13th back at Gateway. And I got to mention, I did see uh, there's not really any new, brand new horror films out on the big screen here lately. But I did see one you might want to check out. It's a short film. You can get it on YouTube or it's, it's free online basically right now. Uh, called Vicious. Did you like it? Uh, I did like it. Uh, I didn't like it as much. When you go to the page or whatever place you might find it, it's really talked up. I think they're trying to get funding sure. for to make it a, a feature, and that's perfectly fine. Everybody does it. So they give it maybe a few more uh, superlatives than I think it's worth, but it's fine. It is fine. I don't think it, it's as good as that other one we did um, a few months Night ago. Of the Night of the Slasher. Yeah, that was Which fun. was great. That was fun. But uh, yeah, it's called Vicious. Check it out. Uh, it's free, I believe, uh, on a lot of places online. So uh, that was the uh, one new horror flick that we checked out. But um, yeah, we're rocking and rolling this week. Uh, we got uh, best appearances by rock stars in horror movies. And there's a bunch of them. And by the way... Thank you for the all the recommendations. We got a lot, a lot of great recommendations. Some that I didn't know about. Some that 
I had forgotten about, right. and not all of them are making our list. No, well, there's one in particular that um, came up, and actually, I, I was aware of it, but I hadn't seen it, so we watched it last week because I wanted to make sure, because, and it's a film called Suck, and it has a ton of people in it, most of whom I love. So Iggy Pop is in it, so right there, I just thought, Iggy Pop is in a horror movie, and I didn't know it. What? So I couldn't wait to see it. Henry Rollins is also in it. Alice Cooper is in it, and it's a, it's a, it's a movie about a vampire band, and it lives up to its title, I'll tell you what. <laughs> so it did not make this list. Which breaks my heart because I can't tell you how much I wanted to talk about Iggy Pop today. Yeah. Uh, so that one didn't. Also, there's Grace Jones in Vamp. Yeah. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne is in Trick or Treat. Right. You know, he seems, I mean, he's just one of those people that, that is a perfect oh, yeah. slide over into horror. You know, yeah. he is the Prince of Darkness on his own and all. But, I mean, you know, and a lot of people love that movie. I just, I just don't dig it. I couldn't stick it out. I couldn't put it in there. Meatloaf. And I know that you're a big fan. Mm. And he's in a ton. He, he does a ton of horror movies. And he also does a lot of those um, Masters of Horror, you know, the, yeah. the short, the series. He yeah. does, you know, but of course, Rocky Horror Picture Show, duh, obviously. And, uh, but, but he did one uh, Stage Fright a couple years ago, which sort of, <laughs> sort of glee meets horror kind of thing. It was, it was thing. weird, yeah. Um, he's got a small part in a movie called Burning Bright, which I actually like better than I should. Yeah, the one yeah. with the tiger. Yeah. I like that movie better than I should. But and then one that I had never even heard of, and it's funny because I'm a big fan of John Mellencamp. Uh, and his first movie years ago that he directed, not right. a horror movie, called Falling from Grace, yeah. was really good. Was. And when it came out, you think, oh, wow, he's got a future in movies. And then I thought he never did anything else. But he did this horror movie called After Image, which I we still haven't seen. No. We wanted to get around to seeing it. We just couldn't. We were had a little vacation, a little time out of town. But uh, So we'll have to check it out. But it... What I read about it is not, it's not thought of very highly. No. But, Which uh, is too, I and mean, we probably, you know what, we'll still watch it yeah, eventually. We'll still watch but it. I think it's about 15 or so years old. Yeah. Uh, so that one didn't get in there. And Sherry, Sherry Curry, yeah. she does a couple. She's done a couple. She did one, oh my God, it's so f- awful. Uh, we actually <laughs> mentioned it on one of our, like, our celebrity podcast things, you know, because it's, uh, it's a Demi Moore film and it's called Parasite and she's in it and it's awful. Uh, but she's also in Twilight Zone, the movie, and um, doesn't have any lines for yeah. reasons you might remember. But, you know, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a fun image, her, in that Twilight Zone film. Yeah. So that one, uh, none of those really making the cut here. And also, we have to mention for a couple of reasons, John Bon Jovi, a few years ago, you know, he's done a few acting roles, and he made Vampires Los Muertos. So it's a sequel to uh, John Carpenter's right. Vampires film. But uh, I can't think of that movie without thinking about this classic exchange between Bon Jovi and Triumph, the insult comic dog. You're in a vampire movie, yes? Yes. Finally, a role that requires you to suck. (laughs) (laughs) A role that requires you to suck. Uh, Hilarious. And, you know, he was a good sport about it. But anyway, so... um, those are a few that didn't make the cut, even though we're doing we're doing fuzzy math. We're going six top five. We are this week. doing six. We're doing six. I, I went back and forth. I got to tell you because number six that we're going to talk about, <clears throat> and and I'm just going to admit it right now. John Carpenter has a ton of fans, and they're going to be pissed that I say this, but I do not like this movie. You know, I saw it when it first came out when I was a kid, and I didn't think I liked it then. And then I have revisited it more than once over the years, thinking I've just overlooked something. It gets worse every time I watch it. I, I got to tell you, <laughs> but. He saves it for me in a lot of ways. Yeah. I love this performance in this movie. And it's Alice Cooper uh, in 1987, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness at number six. A life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. It's becoming something. What? Christo <laughs> 
Yeah, so we've mentioned this a few times before on the podcast because it's part of John Carpenter's, uh, what he calls his Apocalypse Trilogy. It's number two. It's The Thing was first, and then uh, this one, Prince of Darkness, and then In the Mouth of Madness in 94. And I'm with you. This is not a very good movie. Especially when you compare it to those two. Oh, yeah, especially The Thing. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's just, maybe it's... You know, it's hard to watch it now. It doesn't age well no. at all. No. But uh, yeah, we're, we're talking about it because it's the appearance of Alice Cooper right. in this movie as the nameless, and he doesn't have any lines. He's just it's like the, street schizo is how yeah. he's billed. And he's very imposing. Yeah, that's the thing. So really, for me, the only interesting thing about this movie, they're all inside a church and, you know, Satan is in the church in this green viscous fluid kind of a thing going on, whatever. But... um the homeless people around this abandoned church sort of, they just multiply and they just stand there until yeah. eventually they're surrounding the church and he's the first one. And, um, you know, and it, it's, it's perfect casting and he doesn't have any lines, but he just stands there looking just menacing and wrong. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I remember that from the first time I saw it. I just love that. I yeah. just loved him in that just with his shopping cart and his, you know, torn up clothes. He was great. And um, originally he wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. He asked John Carpenter, if he could come to the set just to watch a certain special effect, because I guess Cooper's manager was one of the producers of the film. Oh. And uh, then John Carpenter decided to offer him the role as the leader of the street people. Yeah. And it, yeah, it worked out perfectly. Oh, because, it was great. You know, even if you don't say you didn't know of Alice Cooper and his onstage persona, it still works. He just has that face and he's just staring and kind of walking almost zombie like oh, yeah. and just always in the background, like, what's this guy's deal? He doesn't look well. <laughs> he doesn't. But, you know, so that's why uh, we're not exactly saying this is a great movie, but as as an appearance of yeah, a rock star it's great. Well, in and, a horror movie, it works. And he's done a ton. He's probably been, of the, the actors that slash rock stars in this list, he's probably done more horror than anybody because it's just such an incredibly natural fit. Yeah. Well, he played Freddy's um, dad. dad in that one. Uh, Freddy's dead. Freddy's dead. Yeah, the yeah. final nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, he's in Suck. He's in that that one I just mentioned. Um, he's you know he's done a lot actually. He's done five or six horror films over the years because, like I said, it's just it's an incredibly natural fit. Yeah, so that is number six in our top six, top five uh, best rock star appearances in horror movies as the leader of the street people, Alice Cooper in Prince of Darkness, and number five, the real top five, and this is a goodie. I kind of surprised this is all the way down at number five. Uh, from Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1992, Tom Waits. A kitten. I beg you. Wouldn't you prefer a cat? Oh, oh yes. A big cat. My salvation depends upon it. Your salvation? Yes. I need lives. I need lives for the master. Master for what master? The master will come. And he has promised to make me immortal. How? I don't know if I'm the only one, but for me, Renfield is the most fascinating character in Dracula. In the book, in uh, any version uh, of the film, you know, if the Renfield character isn't done well, I find the movie disappointing. And, um, and I think that Tom Waits might be my favorite Renfield. He does a great job. Uh, and it's funny because another, well, Steve Buscemi was the first choice to play oh, Renfield. Oh, I can see that. Apparently, yeah. And also another rock star, not that well-known, Ian Drury, was also interviewed. Interesting. To, uh, to play the part. But yeah, Tom Waits does a great job. Well, first of all, 
Anytime Tom Waits is in any movie, I am all in. I love him so much. And he just has such a, he just makes such a fascinating character. Just when he's in the character, it's going to be unique. Yeah. And he's made a, a, yeah, yeah. a number of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, he's, you might think of why he got this part. One of the reasons, not only is he great in it, but he's very close friends with Francis Ford Coppola. I guess his wife, uh, Tom Waits' wife, Used to be a, or maybe still is, one of Francis Ford Coppola's writers. Oh, okay. Like, has worked with him mm-hmm. for a long time. So he's kind of fallen in with that group. Very good friends with Nicolas Cage and the Coppola family. So uh, n- not that he didn't deserve the role. He no. very much did. Yeah, he did. And that, that little clip we showed was a great scene on how it slowly escalates. You know, at first he's just messy. He's talking about eating the bugs yeah. and everything. And then it starts with, oh, he wants a kitten. But then when he says, how about a cat? And yeah. then he just... just then it escalates into this master and everything. It's really, really great. It is great. And, um, you know, this is not a great movie. Um, no, 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 it's not. And, and you know, uh, he, Gary Oldman is great in this movie. He is great, especially when he's like the older version, the older grandma version of Dracula. He's awesome. And I think Coppola does some amazing things visually with he this does. movie. But aside from Gary Oldman and, and Tom Waits, the performances are so bad. Well, They're so bad. You know, Winona Ryder and um, Keanu, Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Weak. Just weak. I mean, Kenna Reeves is just not good. Winona Ryder has be been good. good. Can be good. She's was just not, not good, good in this. this. No. Yeah. Apparently, too, um, it was, this was this movie and Winona Ryder's involvement was some sort of olive branch because, you know, she dropped out at the 11th hour mm-hmm. of Godfather 3. Right, right. And apparently she was the one that brought this script to Francis Ford Coppola mm. as kind of a, you know, let's be friends again. So that, and then she got the role, but not, not one of her best. And of course, Kenna Reeves didn't, didn't bring anything to the part at all. Um, but and Anthony Hopkins is terrible. You know, yeah. he, he's he's interesting in certain films. Um, he just chews scenery. And in this one, man, he was just the hammiest, yeah. most over-the-top performance. But I think you're right. There is some very interesting choices. Um, where he, Visually, Visually, certainly. and where he breaks from the book. Uh, but visually, very much so. But Tom Waits, yeah, is the reason we're talking about yeah, this here. no question. Uh, because of his performance. Of course, he's also in Wolfen, just by the way. I mean, Tom Waits is in a lot of movies, but oh, in yes. terms of horror, he's also in Wolfen. Wolfen is also bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, his performance in the 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula, definitely worth worth mentioning on this list. And that's number five. And uh, rolling up to uh, number four, this is one from just last year, and a special mention because uh, Hope got to interview this rock star for starring in He Never Died. It's Henry Rollins. I was shocked to find out you had a kid. They have Andrea. How old are you? I have no idea, but I'm in the Bible if that means anything. I'm known as King. Probably just going to go kill another room full of people. You are? Probably. Come on! I'm getting you out of here. I'm going to kill you. Tear you apart and eat you. It's not because I want to, but I have to. Let me die! Yeah, you got pretty giddy getting to talk to uh, a little bit, Henry a, little a few bit. months ago. Yeah, yep. good stuff, good stuff. He, um, yeah, he's awesome. And and he's in a bunch of horror movies. I you know had he not made this movie, I would have put Feast in here because I love him in Feast. I like the movie Feast. I love him in Feast. He's also in that bad vampire movie. I keep bringing up Suck. <laughs> Everybody um, must be well, in that. He plays a DJ. He plays like an over the top you know rah, rah, DJ, which you'd <laughs> love it. He's got this really weird like I don't know sort of Howard Stern wig on. Um, <laughs> but um, 
but he never died. He's the full-on lead. There's no question about it. It's a very interesting movie. Um, well, and didn't he say in your interview that this was written for him? Yes. Was it not? And you know what I find funny about that, and what he seemed to also find funny about that, is that the character that he plays... Um, it's like zero energy, zero energy. He's just sort of done with it all. He's completely disinterested in everything that's happening, which is the opposite of Henry <laughs> exactly. Rollins. Of course, he's, he's manic, so intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's a, and he does a great job. It's a great performance, and he he absolutely carries the film. I think he may be in every single scene. And, you know, and it's about uh, you know, it's about you know, it's it's kind of a theo- theologically confused story, but it's sort of about an angel. Uh, who who uh, has been cast out and is just you know can never die and so he's really tired of sort of humanity and and our petty quabbles quibbles that we keep pulling him into, but he also uh, is trying really hard not to eat us. That's nice. It is, and that's the thing. So eventually, uh, you know, I just if you've ever wanted to see Henry Rollins eat a human larynx, and I have, <laughs> um, this is the movie for you. It's he's such an interesting guy uh, with the way his career well shoot. The way his career began, mm-hmm. because you may n- not know that he was uh, one of the uh, singer for years for one of the seminal punk bands, Black Flag. Yes. And he only got that job by hopping up on stage with him. He was a fan, and he was working at some haagen or somewhere. <laughs> Can you imagine that, going in to get an ice cream, and Henry Rollins just staring a hole through your head when you ask for the wrong, <laughs> the wrong flavor? Anyway, and he went to see him and just jumped up on stage and did some songs, and next thing you know... He's their lead singer. Yeah. And, and so he's gone on from that. Of course, he's done the spoken word tours. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's a very thoughtful guy. Some great, you know, political opinions. Not everything I agree with, but you can't fault the fact oh, that no. the guy's very well, you know, well-read, you know, a very intelligent guy. That uh, He's incredibly busy. Very and when, busy. You know, and when I talked to him, um, we, we talked about a film that he wrote uh, called Gutter Damerung, which I, I really wish were out right now because it clearly would have made this list. You know, Lemmy... Isn't it? Uh, Iggy Pop is in it. Grace Jones is in it. I mean, it's like everybody is in it, and and he's in it. And uh, uh, I really, really, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, it, it's done, but it hasn't been released. So we may have to do like an amended version of this in a year or so once that movie comes out because I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, uh, and he does. You're right. He does a great job in this. Uh, just from last year, he never died. Henry Rollins, who I didn't know until re- researching this um, for this podcast. His real last name is Garfield. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. You knew that because you're buddies. <laughs> We're close friends. <laughs> Actually, he was. I was. Uh, I was remarkably nervous to interview him um, because I'm a huge fan, and also because he's very intense. And I yeah. thought if I said something stupid, he would he would make me feel bad about it. But he was the nicest person ever. He was so nice. You know um, what he'd have done? He'd have eaten your larynx. That's right. He'd eaten my larynx. And I also want to say, so Fred Clubber, Tom Howard, recommended this movie, and. He, he said it in a tweet, and then also the movie, He Never Died, retweeted that tweet. So, not that it was going to make the list anyway. It absolutely was going to, but, you <coughs> know. Pandering. <coughs> I'm sorry. Something caught my throat there. No, I, you know, I listened back. I remember when you uh, interviewed him, and I listened back to the, to the recording, and he seemed, he, did, he was great. Uh, very gracious. Oh, my and, God, he was. Know, great yeah. answers, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, no, this definitely, definitely deserves to be on there, his performance in He Never Died from last year. And that is number four, and that takes us up to number three. And, oh, boy, one of the biggest rock stars, I guess, on the planet of the last 30, 40 years, Mr. Sting, and from 1982, Brimstone and Treacle. Reach out, O oh Lord, in thy holy mercy, touch this innocent young girl, the loveliest of thy creatures. Ooh. 
Are you saying I should be locked up, put away, in an asylum? I don't know shut your bloody stupid mouth! That wasn't very clever, was it, sir? This is one I don't think very many people have seen. Um, I know, you know, you might be thinking The Bride when you think of staying in a horror movie. But, but don't. No, don't. Seriously. <laughs> that movie is so bad. Brimstone and Trickle is great. It's based on a stage play. It's got that kind of a feel about it. And, you know, on the surface, it's not necessarily a horror film. Uh, uh, Sting plays Martin is a con man, basically, and he sort of cons his way into this middle class family's home, uh, where their daughter is, is, catatonic. No, she's catatonic. Yeah. She, she, she was involved in a hit and run accident and she has not ever come out of her sort of, it's not exactly a coma, but she's, she's, she's just in a bed in the, in the living room. And the, the, uh, girl's parents are played by Denholm Elliott and Joan Plowright. G- couple oh of great, Oh my God, great, so great. Great actors. So great. They're so great. And, and, uh, and Sting is really wonderful in this because it's a very wicked performance, you know, um, uh, because, you know, on the, again, on the surface, he's just a con man. But the more you look at, him, the way he behaves, and then the other elements that they toss in, you know, sort of social expectations and, and religious expectations. They, you start to think to yourself, I think this guy might be Satan. Right, but it's very open-ended. It's yes, very, very ambiguous because, as he says, um, the one quote is something about, I'm a, a demon to some, an angel to others. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of recalls that uh, premise of Hellraiser where... It can be pleasure or it can be pain. Yeah. So, yeah, you get the thought of, well, when bad things happen, all right, he's he's a demon, but he's also uh, be a possibility to do some good things, maybe depending on you. Well, he's doing, I mean, he's doing positive things that both of these put upon parents, and one of the parents is actually a bad person, um, are appreciating for, you know, uh, selfish reasons, but he's, he's fully bad. He's fully bad, and of course... If you're not familiar with it, I don't want to give much away, but what he does is, you you know, the film plays on a sense of dread because you just keep thinking, uh, no one's going to do that. Right. And, 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 and that's what happens. And well, you're and, like, oh my God, that just you, happened. And you sort of know from the very beginning when he... When he comes on the scene and he's just so incredibly nice and helpful, something's not right here. Oh well, yeah. Well, you've already you already know that you the audience already knows he's a con man because of what happens right before he gets to the house. Yeah, yeah. But the <clears> way <throat> you know when that when she's first telling um, telling her husband of all the nice things yeah, he's yeah. done, he's yeah. cooked, he's cleaned, he's yeah. done. Uh, who does that? No, right. Yeah. So you're right. It's a it's an impending dread. Yes. In the whole thing, but it's very ambiguous. Like you say, it was started out as a stage play, and I think before it was the movie, it was a. BBC uh, tele teleplay, kind of a little mini film. Actually, you know what's interesting is that the uh, the head of BBC at the time found the film queasying, although brilliantly put together, and they didn't play it. Okay, so they filmed it in the early eighties, but it did not play until nineteen eighty seven. Okay, so uh, but, but that's th- not the version with Sting, right? Exactly, and Sting, and I guess. Uh, before Sting was cast, they considered David Bowie. Uh, which I could totally for that, see. Totally see. But you know, the thing about the way Sting plays it is that there's a um, sort of a, a an innocent sweetness that's clearly fake, but I don't see Bo- Bowie pulling that off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Sting has more of a sort of 
sweet face. Bowie's face is awesome and cool, but it doesn't say innocent or sweet. Yeah, and uh, 82 was right before. I mean, the police were very well known. Right, they hadn't broken out no, yeah, to global superstars yet, yet so, yeah. but still, I think the film... It was a bit of a surprise that it found no audience really right, whatsoever. No. Now, the soundtrack did, uh, which Sting did, I think, almost all the music for. Oh, no, the Go-Go's are on there. Okay, well, he did um, them but, some. Yeah, but other than that, I think that might be the only non-police, non-Sting on there is yeah. the Go-Go's. But it's a really fun soundtrack. Yeah, so I think the soundtrack sales kind of kept the film afloat. Uh, but it, yeah, did not do well. didn't find an audience. Uh, and kind of the weird, maybe the weird title, I don't know. Right. Uh, but at the time, you thought maybe Sting could carry it a little bit, but uh, as far as at the box office, but not so much. And that is number three, Sting from 1982, Brimstone and Triacle. Uh Number two, and we have talked about this one on a few occasions, but not so much about her specifically. Right. Uh, and that is Debbie Harry in Videodrome. What about it, Nikki? Is it socially positive? Well, I think we live in overstimulated times. We crave stimulation for its own sake. We gorge ourselves on it. We always want more, whether it's tactile, emotional, or sexual. And I think that's bad. Then why did you wear that dress? Sorry? That dress. It's very stimulating. I admit it. I live in a highly excited state of overstimulation. Is Max Ren a menace to society? I'm not sure... He's certainly a menace to me. Uh, yeah, I love that. Is he a menace to society? Well, he's a menace to me. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. And that's another one where right at the time, you know, 1983, Debbie Harry, huge. Huge. You know, blonde head had just broken out mm-hmm. in a big, big way. Um, and she's not the star of this movie. No. But she does a great job. And, and in that little piece there, you just heard, really talks about the, you know, the premise of the movie being saturated. She talks about being saturated with with the information and technology right. and it just it's perfect she, you know she is she really is so good in this movie and it's an it's an unusual character that i think might be difficult for some people to pull off and to me she has almost a kathleen turner sort of a way about her in here just effortless random eff- accents <laughs> effortlessly sort of sultry yeah. you know and seductive and you're not sure do you root for her do you not root for her she seems like there's something wrong with her mm-hmm. and and if you follow if you're familiar with the storyline things don't go that well for her but on the other hand um, there is something really sort of likable about her, even though she's got sort of a femme fatale way about her. Oh, yeah, because she's not as just downright creepy as uh, as James Woods right, character. No, like, no one Ugh. is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, but she does bring that kind of presence because she's done some acting. Yeah. In fact, she was up for a lot of roles. She was up uh, for um, uh, the female lead, the wife in Raging Bull. She was up for that. She was up for uh, Roland Tron, and she was also up for um, Sean Young's part in Blade Runner. Oh. Uh, and didn't get, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Sean Young's, Daryl Hannah's. Oh, Daryl okay. Hannah's. Okay. She was up for Daryl Hannah's part in Blade Runner. Um, so, you know, and she's done a lot of acting, but this was, I think, maybe her biggest. I think so. And, you know, um, we love Cronenberg. We love this movie. And, and, um, you know, Cronenberg films aren't always sort of meticulously cast. And and a lot of his, especially the first sort of decade or so of his of his work, I think acting and the performances weren't maybe the the number one priority in in his film work. Um, And I think that it started to turn around in this movie. I think uh, James Woods and Debbie Harry are are perfect for these particular roles. I mean, they're perfect. I have a hard time imagining anybody else doing either of those performances. Yeah. 
Uh, and as always with Cronenberg, there's a lot of body horror. There's things, you know, with the slits in their, mm-hmm. you know, torsos and everything. Uh, but it has a very uh, unmistakable message about media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think he does more with color in this film than he does in any other film. And yeah. and if you think about just her performance and, and her almost every scene she's in, she's in red and everything around her is red. Yeah. You know, and in in a world uh, sort of, a you know, a. a and she talks about saturation, which is interesting, but but a lot of the rest of the movie is a bit colorless, which is common for his movies, you know. But but every time she's there, it's just a splash of red that's kind of fascinating. Well, and then he says it to her. You know what Freud would say about red? Oh and, yeah. You know, and she says, "Yes, I do." Uh, so yeah. So there's he just comes out with it right yeah. there. It's funny you talk about um, Debbie Harry's acting. She also did. This is an interesting little bit of trivia for uh, Debbie Harry. She made her Broadway debut with Andy Kaufman. In a Broadway play, it was called T-Neck Tansy. She, <laughs> she played a female wrestler with Randy Kaufman, a wrestler. Right, right, right. There's a history there. And Kaufman played a referee, and it closed after one performance. Wow. Sounds weird. Does sound weird. She's very small to be a wrestler. Yeah. yeah. But She's a very little person. Andy Kaufman had some fascination with wrestling. Uh, for some reason, but yeah, it was he was involved, so it was weird and closed <laughs> and closed after opening day. But you know, and she's gone on since then to do uh, doesn't do much acting anymore, but she pops up in things from, from time to mm-hmm. time. But you're right, she fits the part so well and uh, has a great uh, interplay with with James Woods yeah, because very. she's kind of you know he's so uh, high strung and he just he's always seems like a coiled up ready to strike. Yeah. And she's just very cool and yeah, calm, very. kind of the antithesis. And like you said, it doesn't work out very well for her, but. Um, she brings a lot to the part. Yes, yeah, she does. I love her in this movie. Yes. I do. So that's uh, Videodrome uh, from 1983. Debbie Harry, our second favorite rock star appearance in a horror movie. And that leaves only room at the top. And I know we've talked about this one before for a variety of reasons. And it's not exactly the biggest part as far as screen time. But boy, he makes an impression. And that is the late, great David Bowie in The Hunger. Forever and ever. Signs terminate right here. The timeless beauty of Catherine Deneuve. The cruel elegance of David Bowie. The open sensuality of Susan Sarandon. Combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. The Hunger. To be fair, this movie gets a little second nod because Bauhaus is also in it. I know, <laughs> you know, I know so you like that. Well, you know, the music in this movie is such a big part of it. Oh, it is. Not just Bauhaus, but there's classical music everywhere yeah. for that, you know, gothic type of vampire vibe. You've yeah. got the classical music. You've got the blowing draperies oh, yes, all you do. over the yeah. place. And it's a, you know, it's a good look. It's a good atmosphere. And of course, Bowie uh, and Catherine Deneuve together are just perfect vampires, almost when we remember when we first heard about the casting of Only Lovers Left right. Alive, and you're thinking Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston, yes, yeah, uh, and this is perfect casting it for is vampires. Perfect casting. Of course, they're they're so refined and and classic, and the way they move, cool. they're sleek, cool. exactly. Yeah. They're just cool. They're rock stars. They are <laughs> rock stars. And uh, yeah, this one came out the same year as uh, as Videodrome. It was early '80s. A lot of these movies uh, in the early '80s, good stuff. Yeah, but he uh, yeah he plays John Blaylock. Who Which is, is a great name. That great is a great name. vampire name, Blaylock. Yeah, and he has been, for hundreds of years, he has been uh, uh, Miriam Blaylock's companion. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly she kind of gets tired of him, and it ends up 
happening to him as what happened to all of her other previous companions because she's like, what, 6,000 years old or something. Uh, And he gets this rapidly aging, I mean quickly. Yeah. And that brings brings him into the... uh, going to see uh, Susan Sarandon who studies these things. Yeah, she's like a blood a yeah. blood doctor. Yeah, so Bowie is not in it that long, but he but he makes an impression. He um has that cool look. And then, you know, when he starts aging so quickly, not the greatest um old age makeup, although that's still a hard thing to do. It is. Um even today, but uh but he's he's has such a good vibe about it and when he has that that slow panic about yeah. it, he knows what's <clears> happening. <throat> he's trying to stop it, but he can't. Oh, and then, you know, the the scene where they leave him sitting there for hours and hours, and she realizes how much older he is now than he yes. was when he got there. That's yes. a great scene. His performance is really, really good. I mean, there's a lot going on in this character in this movie. Um, you know, he starts off just like on top of the world in this, you know, uh, this endless youth and beauty and death, and you know, and then quickly he's not that anymore. And, and not only is he realizing that his his lover of the last hundred years is no longer interested in him, but that he's and, you know, the thing is, they don't really die. They just seem to age. And as you can tell in the end of the movie, they just, what, rot. But they're yeah. still alive. It's sort of terrifying. And he has such grace about it. But he's so he's so wonderful in this movie. Um, and, and, and very sympathetic. But at the same time, there's the scene. And I'm sorry, these are spoilers. But it is, you know, it is like a 30-year-old movie. <laughs> um, where he kills the little girl. Mm-hmm. And so he's not entirely sympathetic i mean in the early feeding scenes you don't really feel badly for their meals you don't know them and they're you know what i mean but but when he kills the little girl and it's an act of desperation on his part but it, it does set up the fact that he's not he's not 100 percent sympathetic this no. character he's a bad dude but still because of the power of his performance you do feel badly for him yeah which is funny i always thought that line is funny in the trailer where the voice goes john blaylock Pray for him. Yeah. Um, well, it's a stupid trailer. Uh, it is. It really it keeps... How many times is, does he say perverse in the trailer? <laughs> but uh, no, you're right. It is sympathetic. Uh, and I think I, I mentioned this before when uh, last time we talked about the hunger, but it's such an interesting little anecdote that to get that hoarse voice... I love that. Yeah. He stood on the George Washington Bridge every night and screamed all the punk rock songs that he knew. And I'm guessing David Bowie knew a lot of punk rock songs. Well, he knows... He's pretty close with Iggy. So yeah, I bet... That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's just like my dream come true would be to be driving, like driving on the bridge and just to see David Bowie screaming some Stooges songs. <laughs> you know, I would just have to pull over and listen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it's, it's kind of reminiscent as well of his character a little bit in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. Just the way that he has that that quiet grace about him. Yeah. But you're right. This one, not a good guy. I mean, no. he's a vampire. Let's, yeah. let's be real. Uh, but gets that sympathetic because he's panicking. Because, he, like I said, he knows what's happening. He knows that he's going to end up with all those other coffins right. in her storeroom. Uh, but he brings it. He, he brings a lot to the, the time that he's on screen. And the funny thing was, I mean, he wouldn't have been involved probably. But they changed the ending of this movie specifically to allow for more sequels. That never did happen. No, uh, and and the guy who uh, who wrote the the original uh, script, uh, Whitley Strieber, Strieber, uh, wrote two other. Uh, sequels he wrote two others but they just never got made they just kind of got left there well i don't i don't actually think the hunger made a lot of money when it first came out well that's probably why yeah, that is probably why yeah. and, you know it's tony scott's first film ridley scott's brother tony yep. scott um and he would obviously go on to do some pretty big things but it's very much a style over substance film yeah it is very very stylish and it works because it works <laughs> as a as a van it's, it's a vampire style yeah uh, and it's uh, and of course there's the you know famous uh, girl on girl action mm-hmm. with uh, Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve, but 
And she has, I know in interviews, she has, uh, Susan Sarandon has said that she was very disappointed in the ending that, that they came up with. Oh, yeah. She, just to, just to allow for sequels, she thought it didn't work, didn't work as well as the original ending. No, I, I mean, I personally think that there's a lot going on in sort of the mythology behind the story and then also the way that the storyline plays out that does not work in this movie. It makes the movie very confused. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, as far as a rock star appearance, that is number one the on best. our list. The best. Uh, David Bowie in The Hunger. So let us know. What do you think? Should we have put in um, somebody like Grace Jones or Ozzy Osbourne right. maybe in there? I, let us Don't kn- say John Bon Jovi, though. If that's what you're thinking, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> a role that requires you to suck. <laughs> uh, so yeah. For us to poop on. <laughs> Hit us up uh, on Twitter. Is always good. At MadWolf, M-A-D-D. W-O-L-F, uh, MadWolf.com is, of course, the home website. And uh, MadWolf Columbus on Facebook. A lot of ways. Also, we got to give a shout-out because you have this week's Saturday Screamer on Screen so Relish. So go to ScreenRelish.com, and it's the film Possession. If you haven't seen Possession, you simply must. It is just one of those super weird, so weird, and wildly enjoyable films. And uh, and so I did the Saturday Screamer. This would have been last Saturday on, on ScreenRelish.com, but you can still find it. So go have a look there. And you know what? See what else they got going on. It's a great website. Yeah, it is. Uh, they're probably going to carry my. We're going to see Batman and Superman on Tuesday. Yep. And I think I'm going to give them my review. Yep. Uh, before it actually hits uh, MadWolf.com. So all over the place. It's a great website, ScreenRelish.com. Check it out. And um, yeah, so we're looking forward to our next. Do we know what we're doing next week? We talked about the next Fright Club live, but we did. Um, first, I want to say really quickly. I want to say welcome. We got a new a new person who uh, who listens in actually posted a comment about it. And uh, uh, old man Spencer, welcome, old man Spencer. Old man Spencer, that is awesome. <laughs> what a great. You know, I love I love the Twitter names, right? Colossal Bandit, Mac <laughs> Mac, old man Spencer. Love it. Yeah, love it. So, anyway, so yeah. welcome, welcome. And, Let us uh, know what you think about our rock stars. Yeah, keep those comments coming. And uh, okay, so April 13th, uh, next Fright Club Live at Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. If you're in the area, stop by. going to be fun. We always start with a happy hour. Then we record the podcast. Then we watch the movie. And this is a great one, Tale of Two Sisters. Oh, my God, it's so great. As we talk about our favorite Korean horror films. And there's a lot to choose from. There's so, some great ones. So feel free to chime in on yeah, that, too. Yeah. I mean, Do you have a favorite Korean horror movie? Let us know what you think it yeah, is. Yeah, get an early jump on that because it's going to take a while to pare them down. And I think next week we're going to do um, coming-of-age horror. Coming-of-age horror. And then Stephen Perez clowns. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be then, but uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that to be sure. So a lot of good stuff coming. Keep in contact as always. And until then, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. And keep rocking. <laughs> like a-